As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Good day, Christy. Hey, hey. And Ben. Uh, hey, but I'm trying not to read into your tone there. Please don't. <laughs> don't. Like it was like, well, it was like, oh, it's so nice to see Christy. Oh, Ben's here. <laughs> don't police my tone, and also don't uh, assume anything yeah, about my tone. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not policing it. I'm just uh, just trying not to read into it. Just I'm like playing around <laughs> with different tonalities. We don't have a tonal language, you know, English, mm. and I think it's about time we did so. Well, I'll just be doing this from now on, mm-hmm. and you shouldn't read anything into it. I have a question. What uh, are you enjoying learning about these days? What are you curious about, interested in, and maybe even talking to other people about because of how much you like it? Ben goes first. Oh, oh. Wow. I can go first if you it's want. Early in the morning. Okay, because you thought of the question. I did think of the question. I am learning all about um, aging and how we age and why we age and the biology and science behind that. Huh. And um, it's fascinating. Yeah. I'm reading this book by David Sinclair called Lifespan that describes aging uh, in a different way than I had conceived of it before. And it's really kind of blowing my mind. Huh. Okay. It's really cool. Um, yeah. My, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm learning about, this is personal, but also kind of funny. Um, not funny, funny. Complex PTSD. Oof. You guys, oh, I know wow. it's heavy. I read this book called What My Bones Know. Oof. And it's not a, not a, book of faith by any means. Um, but wow, it blew my mind. Like it was really fascinating to give language to some things. Mm. Um, yeah. So I know it, like there's some junk in my past that, uh, I've gone through some real serious counseling, but then this book like gave some language to things that I didn't really have words for. So Mm. really good. Um, and also kind of Probably not what you were expecting. You were thinking like, you know, crocheting or painting a wall with chalk painting paint a wall. or something. No, I, I wasn't I, I wasn't thinking that. This is yeah. uh this is really cool. Yeah. 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 I just yeah, looked it up. Good. It's really good. I would actually really love uh, I mean Yeah. Is girlfriend like, has colorful language, so like <laughs> We can put an explicit um, warning on the podcast. Yeah, right. Yeah, first of all, uh, anyway, yeah. It's um, it's really good. Yeah, ben? that's interesting. I have questions about it. 
but uh, that we can't go into it because I have to share mine. Um, I think one thing I'm I'm reading this book. Um, it, it didn't come out very recently, but it's called Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Um, and I'm I'm just uh, I don't I guess it's kind of an interesting book because she's um, she's very. Uh, it's kind of a meandering book. It's like a memoir a little bit, but it's also about plants and it's about um, kind of her, her uh, experience as both a scientist. So she's like a a scientist, but she's also a, um, an indigenous person. She's a, um, she's descended from native Americans and um, sort of integrates some of the wisdom of the stories of her uh, indigenous past with her scientific knowledge, uh, and just, I don't know, it's, it's really interesting. So I'm, I don't know what, I don't know what that topic is, but, uh, I'm learning about, um, the way that indigenous people thought about plants in the created world. Um, and it's really interesting. You guys, uh, really, look really at how eclectic we are. Yeah. yeah I mean, there. that's like there. three totally separate things. Yeah. yeah. It's good. It is. Two podcasts on each of them, probably. Right? Yep. Yeah, <clears throat> but today we have something different in store yes, for do. you, a dear listener. Thing. <laughs> a secret fourth thing. Our conversation today is with uh, Jason Porterfield, who wrote a book called "Fight Like Jesus," and it's basically a look at the last week of Jesus's life. He takes mm-hmm. a day of the week per chapter and mm-hmm. mines out the implications for how Jesus. Um, you, you know, when Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, he he says, if only you'd known the things that make for peace. Yeah. Jason takes uh, the last week of Jesus as his program or his modality of how to fight for peace. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a beautiful look into the, the, the moral logic of Jesus's life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. And it's, uh, it would make a great walkthrough. It's kind of, it's meant to be a walkthrough during Lent, um, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is coming up. I mean, it seems crazy yeah. to say that in January, but Lent is coming. So February 22nd. Tell me, are the chapters long? No. So like you could do it the, the Holy Week. Like, oh yeah. The chapters are like 15, 15 to 20 pages. Some are 30. Uh, okay, let me rephrase this. The, the <laughs> chapters are 20 to 30 pages long, but the, I don't know, it would take you like 20 minutes to read the whole chapter. Okay, so it's We're talking, doable. you know, three yeah. minutes a day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, during Lent or Holy Lent, Week? I know. I want to do it, I think. Yeah. Um, at our church, I'm having, we have a woodworking shop at our church, which is oh. like super crazy and super fun. Wow. Um, cool. They build bunk beds mostly for foster kids. Um, and they've done like hundreds of bunk beds. It's super cool ministry. Anyway, um, the guy who runs it, I was like, Hey, I showed him like this little thing has like a cross and a place to hold a candle. I'm like any chance you could like make some of these for students. Anyway, long story short, they're going to make them for every family in our church for Lent and like, like light a candle and we're going to give them like a scripture to read as a family. But I want to like use my candle, my cross thing and read (laughs) that book during Lent. So you'll be all, you'll be all set. I know. All I set will. for Lent. Yep. Well, anyway, yeah, pick up the book. It, it would make a good, uh, um, yeah, if you want to do something with a group of people, small group or church, um, it would probably make a good Lent study. So. Awesome. Yep. All right. Anything else, friends? Let's, let's fire up so. the interview machine. Yeah. Okay, here it comes. Jason Porterfield joins us today on the podcast. Jason holds a master's in theology from Fuller Theological Seminary and has worked in Indonesia and Vancouver with Servants, an international network of Christian communities living and ministering among the urban poor. His previous work includes the ebook 100 Early Christian Quotes on Not Killing, which you can get a free copy of directly from his website, jasonporterfield.com. Today, he joins us to discuss his latest book, Fight Like Jesus, How Jesus Waged Peace Throughout Holy Week. 
Jason, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Awesome. Um, well, what more about who you are and what you get up to do we need to know before we jump in talking about your book? Yeah, I mean, that's a good summary. Uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania, went to a Christian university called Messiah University, and soon after graduating, joined that group, Servants. Um, Servants started in New Zealand, or out of New Zealand, actually, and uh, all the workers, like you said, feel called to live primarily in the slums of Asia, to work with their neighbors, Mm. participating with them to see their slums transformed by the power of Christ. Uh, When I joined them, they had growing interest in North America uh, from people like myself. And so they thought, well, instead of just setting up a sending office, let's try to live out what we do in the slums of some of Asia's biggest cities, but in a Western context. And so they started a missional community in Canada's poorest urban neighborhood. It's a section of Vancouver known as the downtown east side. So I was there for three years getting mentored by one of the founding uh, families of that community who had been in Cambodia before that with the goal of ultimately forming a new team for Indonesia, which by God's grace, three years later, we had five people together and we went. Um, my family and I, we were just there one year before we came back and I oversaw the sending office in North America for servants. But but again, by God's grace, that, that community is still there. And in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I got to get together with some of my former teammates there for uh, what's called the Urbana Mission Conference uh, up in your neck of the woods in Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. I want to return a bit to that context for ministry, what you learned uh, working with and among the poor. Uh, But first, let's talk about this uh, provocative title, right? (laughs) Fight Like Jesus. I was uh, taught from a very young age that Jesus was a lover, not a fighter. Hmm. How does one fight without violence, Jason? Yeah, good question. You know, what I wanted to convey, so like my first working title for the book was Resurrecting Peace. And I had a literary agent who was very wise say to me, you can't call it that because peace means a hundred different things to different people. Are you talking about inner peace? Are you talking about interrelational peace between people in your church, et cetera? Peace in the family, peace in the home. Are you talking about global peace on a macro scale? No one's going to know what you mean. And so, you know, part of the premise of the book is that if you want to learn how Jesus makes peace, there's no better place to look than Holy Week, because it's the main stage on which we get to see Jesus put all of his previous peace teaching into action, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would say the core of Jesus's peace teaching is in the Sermon on the Mount. But during Holy Week, we get to see that fleshed out. And that's what I needed to see on the streets of the downtown east side. You know, uh, the messiness and the complexity of that neighborhood, I didn't know you know, what does it mean to be merciful? Or what does it mean to love your enemies when your enemies are currently oppressing your neighbor, for example? And, um, you know, I, the university I went to that, that I already mentioned, Messiah University, it's historically an Anabaptist school. And within Anabaptist circles, especially 50, 60, 100 years ago, there was a lot of debate, does nonviolence mean non-resistance? right? Um, Do you do nothing, right? And I think if you just read the Sermon on the Mount, for example, and you look at that abstract kind of vague uh, peace teaching, you can maybe make an argument for non-resistance. But when you look at Holy Week and you begin to see in each day how Jesus just actively contended for our peace, confronting injustice, calling out enemies, right? So that's why we chose the word fight like Jesus. We wanted the readers to know this is active Mm. uh, uh, resistance, but with nonviolent means. Hmm. Jason, I'm curious to hear what your relationship with Lent is like. Did you grow up observing it? I mean, I grew up in a church where I didn't observe it, so I didn't start practicing anything to do with Lent until probably college. But so I'm curious, like, did you observe it when you were a kid? And if not, uh, how did it become more important to you as you kind of grew in your Christian faith? Yeah, great question, Christy. Uh, It was not something uh, that we practiced or commemorated in the tradition I grew up in. So I grew up in a a Southern Baptist church for the most part Mm -hmm. uh, in Pennsylvania. And so, you know, we just hit the ground running when it got to Palm Sunday. Right. Uh, But we'd also... (laughs) I think like most churches, uh, we'd celebrate Palm Sunday and then we'd do nothing until Good Friday. Maybe, you know, some years we'd have a Maundy Thursday evening mm-hmm. service. 
Uh, and that's a tragedy uh, to yeah. skip over these days that lead up to Good Friday. I mean, it makes sense. We all want to get to the main event, right? But but I've found, and as I say in the book, that uh, I believe Jesus was crucified on Friday precisely because of how he waged peace on the previous days. And if we fail to recognize that, the danger is we may actually cling to the cross of Christ for our salvation, yet embrace the very approach to making and maintaining peace that justified nailing Jesus to a cross. And so, one of the beautiful things about Lent is it gives us that time, those 40 days, to really prepare our hearts for, you know, a third of the Gospels cover Jesus' final week. If you just wait to Holy Week to focus on it, you just don't have enough time to sit with the events and the stories and the teaching and the interactions and the conflict and the, the clashing of these different approaches to making peace that we see uh, throughout that week. And so, Lent's become very important. And part of Lent are the Sundays, which are considered like mini Easter's almost to celebrate uh, the resurrecting work. Uh, that we celebrate also then on Easter Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now, a word from a sponsor. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying some new practices. In the Gravity Formation course, we go below the surface of our lives so we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing. More transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it has helped many to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. All right, let's get back into our conversation. I wonder if we could return to, you know, what you mentioned earlier about, um, Jesus' definition of peace and Jesus' definition of fighting, uh, because I, I was really, I was really taken with your. I resonate strongly with, you know, what you're saying. There's so many definitions of what peace means, and, and we can end up uh, sort of collapsing it all into just if I feel okay inside, if I'm not experiencing mm-hmm. anxiety, well, that's that's the goal. You know what I mean? Like that's that's peace for me. And so, um, so for for you, this book is kind of this extended meditation on the last week of Jesus' life, and you know, the, it moves from Palm Sunday through his death, and then finally, you know, comes to um, Resurrection Sunday. And you have this helpful chart at the end of the book that kind of lines up each chapter with each week of Lent. Um, and I say all that to ask this, like you contend that Jesus was, as you said earlier, during Holy Week, fighting for peace. Uh, I wonder if you could say more about how you see this as the interpretive key to Jesus' final week. So, for example, fighting for peace is something that um, in the mythology of the, Ameri- the American military, that's what our troops are doing, right? Yeah. Overseas. That's not what Jesus is doing in his final week. And so how would you delineate, you know, those two things. What is Jesus doing here? How do you see this as the interpretive key to what Jesus' life was all about? Yeah. Um, so I hear two questions there, Ben. First of all, what did Jesus mean by peace, and why am I then saying that that this contending for peace is the interpretive key? So let me answer those questions separately. So first, okay. you know, for Jesus being steeped in the Hebrew Scriptures, his understanding of peace would have been derived from the Hebrew concept of shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, right? And shalom, it it denotes more than just the absence of violence. Uh, It indicates harmony, health, and wholeness in all aspects of life. It's when all of our relationships are flourishing, our relationship with God, with each other, with creation, and even with ourselves. Uh, it's It's when everything is as it ought to be, as God intends for it to be. So this this concept of peace, I mean, it's it's profoundly comprehensive in scope, and it can never coexist with injustice. So that's the kind of peace that I see Jesus actively advancing throughout Holy Week, and it's the kind of peace that I believe he calls his followers to also actively advance. But here's why I say then, going to your second question, that peace is the interpretive key to understanding Holy Week or peacemaking. 
I don't just randomly choose that because I'm passionate about it. It actually is an observation I had when I was pretty much at rock bottom. So in the downtown east side, you know, I went there thinking of myself as a peacemaker. Uh, in other words, I believe God was asking me to contend for the flourishing of this beautiful yet very broken community. A lot of homelessness, a lot of drug addiction, many women trapped in prostitution. And what I didn't know before I arrived was just three weeks after my arrival, the jury trial began in a nearby courthouse for a man named Robert Picton, the man we would all soon learn was Canada's deadliest serial killer. So for over a decade, he would drive into my neighborhood, pick up one of the women engaged in prostitution, take her back to his pig farm, and kill her. Ugh. And so by the time of his arrest, he actually later bragged uh, and confessed to an undercover agent posing as a cellmate. He had murdered 49 women from my neighborhood, oh my just, just one shy of his goal. You know, and so my my neighborhood, my neighbors, they were just devastated. Some of these women were the were like family, the closest things to friends they ever had, right? They were scared. What if there was a copycat? What if the killings continued? They were angry. You know, they've been telling the police for years our our friends are disappearing. And so Shirley Picton never would have been able to kill so many people if his victims had been prominent women from the center mm-hmm. of society. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't take long before my neighborhood's brokenness broke me. And I felt like a failure of a peacemaker. I had no idea, like I said earlier, how to apply Jesus' peace teaching in that context. And so I was burnt out. I know that now. I didn't know it then. But one day I dragged myself to church, and it turned out to be Palm Sunday. And probably just like at, at almost every other church, this church turned it into a joyous occasion, right? So the kids parade through the sanctuary. Everyone chants Hosanna, waves palm branches. All the songs are suddenly in a major key, no, no minor keys, right? And then the, the pastor got up to deliver his feel-good message, and I was just in no mood to listen So I opened the Gospels, and I thought, I'll just read their account of Palm Sunday. (laughs) And when I turned to the Gospel of Luke, I noticed something that I'd never noticed before. And perhaps it's because, for the first time, my emotions on that day matched our Savior's grief instead of the crowd's glee. Because according to Luke, it says that Jesus wept, and as the tears streamed down his face, when he could hold back his grief no more, he cried out for everyone to hear. This is during his triumphal entry, right? And he says, if only you knew on this of all days, the things that make for peace. And I've come to believe that that lament is the key to understanding Jesus's final days. I mean, the passion with which it was spoken, it's it's the second of two times in the Gospels that we read that Jesus was crying, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So the content of that lament and the passion with which it was spoken, it, it shows that clearly Uh, making peace and correcting our misguided understandings of how peace is made was at the forefront of Jesus' thought as he went into his final days. And so what I argue is that that lament, which is Jesus' first publicly spoken words of the week, it actually launched a campaign for peace that consumed his final days. So each day he waged peace, and each day he sought to correct our false understandings of how to go about making peace. Um, and so that that's why I look at Holy Week through the lens of peacemaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the, the contrast, right, with um, with the religious leaders, the religious elite, the political elite, who for them peace is uh, law and order. You know, it's yeah. like uh, we've got um, we've got this rabble rouser uh, locked up or put away or killed, and now we can yep. get back to life as usual. And so Jesus, I mean, ironic, it feels ironic to us, right? That Jesus, make the making of peace that Jesus brings is often disruptive, actually, to the, you know, Pax Romana, the, the peace of empire. Yes. Um, man, that's really good. I appreciate mm. you sharing that. Mm. Yeah. It's, so in some ways, you could say Holy Week is, is a tale of two, two strategies for peace. Yeah. One, is, one is to keep your place and your position and your power what what must you do in order to preserve mm-hmm. the world order and yeah. then and then um what what must you do to in, inaugurate a new world order um and and jason uh, you, you you mentioned earlier that you know the final week or so of jesus's life takes up so much of the gospels but in in my tradition and in so many traditions the last few days of jesus's life or week of jesus's life like um, it's read in church, but it's read like, we read like, I don't know, 62 verses of scripture. 
you know, on Good Friday. And then like, you know, there's 62 mm. verses, a whole chapter on Good Saturday. Um, and it's impossible to teach on them. And one of the things I appreciate about this book is you actually set it up. Um, it, it's not written as a devotional, but you set it up to be devotional, meaning that each chapter of your book takes a day from Holy Week and focuses in on that so that we can actually uh, we can actually digest uh, a bit about the significance of what's happening here. And there's no question. I'm just saying, I think that's a really important uh, structural part of your book that is going to help me uh, as I plan to read through this at Lent. So thanks for that. <laughs> oh, thanks. And uh, <clears throat> I'm glad you noticed that. You know, um, you read a lot of books to research, right? When yeah. you write a book, Matt, yeah. Ben, you know that as well. And um, mm-hmm. so I've read a number of books that do the same thing. They they do a chapter for each day of Holy Week. But one of the startling things I noticed was actually that even though they did that, 80% of their book was still Friday through Friday and Easter Sunday. And again, I get why they do that, but that's not what the Gospels do. You know, for example, the most talked about day of Holy Week in Matthew's Gospel is Tuesday. Uh, he says more about Tuesday of Holy Week than all the other days of Holy Week combined. I mean, it's twice as long as his coverage of the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> and But yet most of us couldn't name a single thing that happened on the most talked about day or the most important week in Jesus's life. Why? Because I think we're, we're in a hurry to get to the cross. And, and look, I get it, but here's, you know, I've already said one concern I have is that if you fail to see how Jesus waged peace, that Jesus was crucified on Friday because of how he contended for peace on the previous days, we might still embrace those peace methods that justify, uh, you know, killing criminals and uh, nailing them to crosses, etc. Mm-hmm. But the irony is, we think we're making much of the cross, but we're actually diminishing its significance when we, you know, we lift it up, but we've actually uprooted it from its context and we've severed it from the life of the one who gives it meaning. And so the gospel writers, they actually front load their coverage of Holy Week, and that's something I tried to do in the book as well. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I want to maybe then circle back around to some of the work that you mentioned doing with servants. Okay. Um, spending years advocating and agitating for peace, right? So one of the things I appreciate about your definition of peace is that it's hard to define peace without the word justice. Yeah. Right? That these aren't these aren't separate concepts, but they are. I don't know. Um, they're overlapping realities that are mutually dependent upon each other, right? Yeah. So as as you wrote this book and studied this last week of Jesus's life, it's two questions, and I'll ask them both, and then you can take them one at a time. What are some of the things that you learned or discovered? or realized, oh, hey, I experienced this on the streets. Like, this thing Jesus is doing, I, I know I have stories and experiences and happenings that uh, that confirm this, okay? So, that's one thing. And the other thing is maybe anything that challenges or conflicts with what you experienced, meaning maybe there's something so culturally unique or contextually specific um, about Jesus's experience that it doesn't quite map on to what has happened to you and to people that you've lived with. So, I know that's a huge question. I'm going to shut up. (laughs) This is how how, uh, Jesus Christ is Lord in my life, Jason. I'm going to shut up (laughs) and just let you, like, you can think about it, and I'd love to, we'd love to hear, like, Mm. how this relates to the ministry that you've been in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I am my personality and just naturally I'm more of a, a contemplative by nature and an activist through sheer discipline, <laughs> you know, so it's a very healthy thing for me to be part of a community of Christians like servants. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I would say, you know, one of the answers to that first question is, you know, I walked away from studying Holy Week realizing that, that being a peacemaker is far more active and far less passive than I initially thought um, and so, I mean, there's so many lessons I could share. Like, you know, Palm Sunday, before going in into that triumphal entry, Jesus said, I- I'm going to die in Jerusalem. Yet he still moves uh, to the center of the conflict. A- and that, you know, I want to flee. I-, I have the flight mentality when there's conflict, right? But Jesus goes right into it. Um, you know, you talked about 
Holy Week really being like a clash of two peacemaking approaches. And, and, and that's really, you know, what happens on Palm Sunday is it's, it's actually Passover week uh, is the week. And so it's this uh, week-long festival for the Jews in which they commemorate the time that God won their liberation from a, a foreign superpower at that time, Egypt, right? Well, the Jewish people are once again uh, under the thumb of an empire, this time Rome. And so the week actually had a track record of inciting all-out insurrection. It happened in 4 BC, and as a result, Rome told that the, said the provincial ruler in the area had to send reinforcements to make sure that never happened again. And so on this particular Passover, Pontius Pilate, who was the provincial ruler at the time, left his uh, hometown, Caesarea Maritima on the coast, and he marched reinforcements to Jerusalem, coming in through the, get my directions straight here, through the west side of the city. But yet Jesus and his motley crew, we read, comes through on the opposite side of the city, you know. And so here are these two uh, opposing approaches to peacemaking coming in on Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Shalom, the city whose name literally means peace. Um, and so that that was a, an important lesson for me to learn was that I have to be willing to move into conflict. But then, for example, the next day, where actually Palm Sunday ends very anticlimactically. You'd think there'd be some big fancy end, you know, all these crowds coming out to meet Jesus, hailing him their king. But it just says he goes into the city, goes into the temple, looks around, and then leaves for the night and goes back to Bethany. That's it. And then the next day, there's that temple cleansing scene. Um, And so, you know, one of the lessons I talk about in the book, and that's been really important for me, is the importance of assessing situations before jumping in and thinking, I know what to do. And so in servants, for example, we actually tell new, new workers, don't start anything your first year. You'll probably cause more harm than good if you do. Just get to know your neighbors. Get to know the history of your neighborhood. If you're in a in a, a country with a different language, work on the language learning, obviously, right? And um, so, for example, in the downtown east side, you know, my my friend Craig, you've had on as, as a guest as well, Craig Greenfield, uh, he and I decided to spend a week voluntarily homeless uh, on the streets to get to know what is it our neighbors are going through. And and before that week, we thought, you know, maybe, maybe we'll offer food uh, to our neighbors. Maybe that's what God's calling us to. But during that week, we realized you can get free food 23 times a day in the downtown east side. No one was starving for food, but they were starving for friendship. I mean, the loneliness was the worst form of poverty in that neighborhood. And so because we took time to assess first, we then realized that God was calling us primarily to a ministry of hospitality, to welcome into our home those people who are not normally the recipients of welcome. Um, One other example would be you know, Monday, Thursday, uh, in the upper room. So Jesus washes his disciples' feet, you know, and calls us to do the same, to relinquish powers, uh, stoop down and serve. And then then he uh, infuses the Passover meal with scandalous new nonviolent meaning. You know, if he, if he had been a violent Messiah like everyone wanted him to be, then he would have broken the bread and poured the wine and said, this is my enemy's body, break it for me. And this is my enemy's blood, shed it for me. But instead, he he infused it with this new nonviolent meaning, right? This is my body broken for you, my blood shed for you. And then he demonstrated that nonviolent covenant, letting Judas leave, despite the fact that it was at least 12 against one, right? And then I like to think that Judas could still be heard going down the steps uh, from the upper room, because right away, Jesus gives what's called the new command, which is where we get the name Mondi Thursday, uh, mandatum in, in Latin, uh, mandate uh, in English. And he says, um, a new command I give to you, and the user are all plural, I give to y'all. Y'all love each other as I have loved you all. And I think one of the most important lessons for me as I studied Holy Week was the importance of engaging in peacemaking as part of a community not doing it on your own. And so there's an internal focus and a communal nature aspect to that command. It's not just y'all love others, it's y'all love each other. And so when you have a community of Christians who are committed to loving each other as Christ has loved them, it creates a space into which you can invite others in. So they don't just hear about God's love or see it being demonstrated, they actually get to experience it. 
And so, you know, in the downtown east side, you know, I still tried on my own as an individual to love my neighbors well, to contend for the flourishing of that neighborhood. I'd spend hours walking the streets, prayerfully striking up conversation with my neighbors. I'd volunteer at a soup kitchen. I, I was always looking for an excuse to take my neighbors out and treat them to a cup of coffee at one of the local coffee shops, right? Um, but I saw very little fruit. But I wasn't there on my own. I was part of a missional community. And our neighbors would join us. They'd cook with us. We'd eat together. We'd have, you know, impromptu uh, jam sessions afterwards with ACDC and Amazing Grace being sung back to back, right? Uh, A lot of neighbors, you know, wanted to get into rehab. But the beds were always full. So you always had to wait for someone to graduate or drop out. But you had to go back every day and say you still wanted in. And we saw so many neighbors fall back into temptation. I mean, you're still walking the streets and everyone's offering you drugs. And so we said, come live with us. We'll call it prehab. You know, stay with us. Um, you know, we don't have a TV, but here's some good books. Hint, hint. And, uh, um, you know, it was like it was like uh, evangelism at its best. You know, fascination preceding explanation. Like, we couldn't keep up with their questions. Why would you live in this neighborhood? Don't you have a good college degree? Why would you do this? You know, Um and so we just saw so many lives transformed, um, broken relationships with, with family being restored, reconciled. Uh, many neighbors, or not many, but you know, I'd say at least 10 to 15 became good, uh, valued members of our community. One of them um, was still in rehab when he heard Craig Greenfield uh, speak about his time in Cambodia. And he went up to him after the service uh, it was his first Sunday that he was allowed to go with the group and leave the rehab place and go to a church service. And he went up to Craig and said, God's calling me to be a missionary in Cambodia. I know it. And I would have said, well, dude, you know, why don't you get out of rehab first? <laughs> and Craig said, okay, I'll start teaching you the language. And he started to go down every week and start wow. teaching. And that gentleman, Kevin, became a vital member of our community, became known as the weeping preacher uh, because he would always tear up when he talked about what God had done in his life. And he's now been in Cambodia for over 12 years doing amazing ministry work among the poorest of the poor in the slums over there. Um, And so that's, you know, I wouldn't have realized the importance of community. One person can, can talk about peace and demand justice. We see it all the time on Twitter, right? <laughs> but in community, you can actually embody peace and do justice. You can model on a small scale the kind of peace you're hoping to see on a grand scale. Wow. We'll be right back. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's get back to the show. Well, I'm just curious because, I, you know, I'm not in that type of environment, right? And I'm I'm not, mm-hmm. like, working... Um, but I have a family and I have a, a community here. So I'm just curious, like, speak for just a second to our listeners who are like, okay, I'm not in that type of ministry. Um, I'm I'm in my neighborhood that I've lived in for the last 11 years. So what does it look like for me to live out peace here um, when I'm, you know, doing my nine to five job or I'm doing whatever I have my, my kids are in elementary school or, or, you know, middle school or whatever. Um, 
Can you flesh that out for us just for a second? Because my guess is that most of our listeners are kind of in that environment rather than, you know, in an environment of like full-time ministry with the purpose of kind of creating that environment. Does that make sense? Yep. I love that question because it's asking how do I apply this actually in my context, which looks very different. So that's a great question. And I have two thoughts, and I think you won't like the second thought, uh, but uh, but I'll share. I want both. Um, I want both. <laughs> okay. The, the first is that you know, like I say when I when I in the opening, the, the preface of the book, I tell that story of being in the downtown east side, being burnt out, and, and that going to that church on Palm Sunday, right? And and I say there, and I genuinely mean that. Look, you don't have to live in a place like the downtown east side. Uh, to have your heart broken over the injustice in this world and to long to be used by God to make a positive difference in the world. And I think, like I felt in the downtown east side, many of us are like, where do I begin? What do I, how do I, where do I start? You know, how do I do this without causing more harm than good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And And so... One of the things I loved about writing this book was it wasn't just it wasn't saying at all. Um, let let me tell you how I have sought to be a peacemaker um, along the ways of along the in the same vein as Jesus. Right? Uh, we there's a need for books um, where people say, you know, here's how I've tried to follow Jesus. We all need spiritual heroes. But what I love about this book is it sh- shines the spotlight on Jesus, and it just says, let's look at the greatest peacemakers greatest week. And then all of us are going to try to figure out how do we apply this in our context. So that's yeah. the the first thought. Here's the second one that maybe is a bit of a pushing the question aside, but I think it's just the right answer is, it's not for me to say. I think the content of this book is best processed in community, the community that you're part of in your own locality. And together, you collectively try to answer that question. So in other words, I don't think I can answer that question for you, Christy, You know, yeah. but I think... Um, just like at the church community that I'm a part of here now in, in Houston, Texas, where I now live, uh, you know, we are constantly asking that question as a community. What does it mean to cultivate shalom in this location? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we, we've done different things. Um, in Vancouver, we started something called Creative World Justice. It was a weekly gathering for our homeless neighbors and outside churches to come together where we, six days a week, were focused on the downtown east side. But for one evening each week, we wanted to learn about God's heart for justice. So some weeks we'd have a Bible study. But then we wanted to learn about a particular injustice going on somewhere else in the world that we had some sort of connection to. And then we believed with all our heart that just like the prophets of old, that God has uniquely gifted us as a community to come up with some sort of creative way to work uh, to, for peace in that context. And so, I mean, there's so many stories I could tell you about that from working to see uh, better uh, legal rights for those working on cruise ships to the foreign domestic workers in Singapore who weren't given a day off, and now they are, um, to when the Olympics were coming in 2010, knowing that that um, sex trafficking greatly increases in, in cities that host the Olympics with all these outsiders coming into the city. And the city had promised to do so many things to help protect women and, and didn't. So we partnered with some other ministries. And, and one of the things our Creative World Justice Group came up with was let's make big stencils that say buying sex is not a sport. And we're going to just sidewalk chalk that onto the sidewalks in front of some of the brothel areas that we know about. And that, that was just one of the initiatives we had. Well, the group got stopped like right away. And the police said, we're sorry, you can't deface public property. You can't do sidewalk chalk on the sidewalk. And so the group, our group was pretty discouraged until someone realized, hey, we could actually uh, borrow my friend's power washer and just power wash that message over the stencil. You know, they can't arrest us for cleaning the sidewalk. Um, <laughs> and so we just power wash that message onto the sidewalk, right? And so my church down here in Houston, we've we've started a similar creative role justice group at times to... Yeah. Communally get together and say, what can we do in the greater Houston area, not just in our in our particular uh, section of Houston, right? And uh, and you just never know what the group's going to come up with because it's collectively discerned. Yeah, hmm. that's so good. That's really good. So encouraging. Well, Jason, I appreciate your time and talking about this. Um, I I want to ask what what sort of what, what do you want your reader to walk away with having worked through this book? Um, I'll, I'll just share what I'm walking away with from this conversation. I want, I need to come back to this 
uh, you calling uh, people coming into your home prehab. And I mm-hmm. think that the evidence that that was a fruitful ministry gives me hope because uh, uh, I have a lot of dad jokes and <laughs> uh, like prehab. And I think that they can be used unto uh, the glories of God's kingdom. So uh, I've just been in Christie, I want to say, so there. Yeah. Uh, but then, Jason, I, I trust that other other readers, not as committed to the puns and dad's jokes as I am, uh, you, there may be other things they can take away. Like, what, what do you hope changes? What do you hope yeah, well, possibilities open up for people when they when they read this? You know, when I started work on this book, I mean, it took four years to write, and mm. so I, I had no idea just how divided our country would become uh, as mm. I was writing it. The vitriol, the animosity, the division, right? And um, and just how almost accepting uh, of violence, just this, this wedding together of, of Christianity and nationalism as, as well. And so I think my hope is just basically what Jesus cried out in that lament, if only you knew the things that make for peace. I think he's still, there's still tears streaming down his face as he looks down upon the church in the United States. You know, He's still saying, if only you knew the things that make for peace, if only you knew how I make peace. Mm-hmm. And so my big hope, like I say, you know, in the very last sentence of the book, is that you'll get to the end of studying Holy Week and say, okay, now I do know how Jesus makes peace. And now I want to wholeheartedly embrace that approach to peacemaking. Amen. Amen. Jason, I think the things you've named here, I think um, becoming people who are permeable to those who need justice, uh, allowing injustice to impact us so that we then take it personally, so that we then join up with people and identify with and stand in solidarity with people for whom peace cannot simply be an internal lack of anxiety. Yeah. Right? Well said, yes. Uh, th- th- that, is the, that is the religion that Jesus' brother calls worthless. Hmm. And, and I, think that, I think that we need a robust imagination for how to make peace. Uh, I think one of the things you mentioned that I think we could spend hours talking about is how to move towards conflict faithfully and deal with all the ways that we, you know, gaffle that. So anyway, I, I'm so thankful that you joined us today. Um, the book again is called Fight Like Jesus, How Jesus Waged Peace Throughout Holy Week. Jason, I mentioned your website, uh, jasonporterfield.com. How else can people connect with you on the internet? Yeah, um, on Facebook, um, I'm at Jason G. Porterfield, and, and Twitter and Instagram at JG underscore Porterfield. But if you just search Jason Porterfield, I'm sure I'd come up. <clears throat> um, and then, like you said, my website, jasonporterfield.com, there's that free resource, 100 Early Christian Quotes on Not Killing. They can also read the first chapter of Fight Like Jesus as well. They're on the homepage. They can get that as well. Great. All right, Jason, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. motivated to keep talking about this Um, I think that there I I find well I found in that conversation that I really tend towards false peace in my life Mm. Mm. Um, because real peace takes a lot of emotional energy Mm. and intentionality and, and it's better it is better but sometimes I'm tired do you like, am I alone in that? No. Yeah. No. There's yeah. fatigue in in dealing with conflict, uh, yeah. especially dealing with conflict where the per, the con, the other parties in the conflict either don't want it resolved, don't know mm-hmm. how to resolve it, or are unwilling yeah. to do the work with you. Yeah. 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 I just, in that conversation, I was just thinking of all the, all the the young moms who have like little kids who are just constantly trying to bring peace into their home and like teach the kids, like, what does it look like to like actually fight like Jesus and that. But then I was thinking about my own life and like relationships and situations. And so anyway, I guess I was just thinking, listener, if you're tired, um, you're not alone Mm -hmm. and it's worth it. Like it's worth it. Well, I, I really appreciated the way that he, um, 
his whole narration about kind of living on the streets and trying to figure out what, you know, what these homeless people needed and all of that kind of thing was, was really interesting to me just because I think, um, it, he made it much, I think we hear a message like this and it is easy if we're a single mom, you know, or just, you know, any mom with, you know, a bunch of little kids around, it's easy to hear something like this as like an extra thing that I've got to like now go out of my way and I've got to, and I, you know, I, I think there are, there are ways that, you know, the way that we love our lives can insulate us. And so I think it is good for us to be thinking about how do we make our, as you said, Matt, make our lives more permeable to the least of these. Um, but I think there's a whole, there's a holistic way of looking at like what it means to wage peace that, so teaching my kids who are fighting over a toy, how to negotiate and how to do justice in that relationship, that's the same kind of work as advocating for justice for, you know, um, mm-hmm. women involved in prostitution. You know, it's the same kind of work. Um, it, it's tied together. And so I, I really appreciated the way that he yeah. um, narrated that. It reminded me of a quote from uh, Samuel Wells, who I think is an Anglican priest in England, um, who's done a lot of writing on poverty. But he, he says that poverty is not primarily about money. It's about having no idea what to do and or having no one with whom to do it. I was, I think about that quote a lot. And J- Jason's narration of like the community aspect of kind of what, what these people need uh, was really interesting to me, really helpful. You know, what strikes me about that quote, Ben, is that we typically think of poverty as a lack of security, right? Mm-hmm. So we talk about housing insecurity or job yeah. insecurity. But um, that quote talks about poverty as lacking in belonging and significance. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so poverty can be one or more of those three things, a deprivation of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, and the lack of belonging and the lack of significance, not knowing what to do and not having anybody to do with it, that can issue forth in a lack of security. You know what I mean? Like that's, that sometimes is the reason that like, but the fundamental reason, uh, is not necessarily always just a lack of money. Sometimes it's a lack of community. Yeah. You know, because yeah. but I've been, I've been in times of my life where I have a severe lack of money, but I I've had community. I've had people who I can talk to about that. Mm-hmm. I've had people who can help me. And that, that makes all the difference. I think. A yes. Lot of times. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> so good. Anyway. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. I'm, I'm always inspired when I uh, talk to people who like Jason. Yeah. Just feel yep. like, yeah. It's just, uh, you know? Well, I love it that he's the real deal. It, it wasn't yeah, that he yeah. just had this idea and let me write this mm-hmm. book. It's no, this is his lifestyle. Yeah. This is yeah. how he lives. Yeah. And, and, and then what he learned uh, in studying Holy Week, it's, it's really beautiful to see that come together. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Prehab. Yeah, really fun. Love, I feel like I feel it. I do feel like the Penley family did a little prehab on some friends. Yeah, oh, the, Pen, friends. the Penley family lives oh, the, Penley family the prehab is, life. It's true. Yeah, you guys. I was uh, like, wow. You yeah, guys, do. you guys wage peace and do justice. <laughs> speaking you guys of, really do. Speaking of prehab, though, do you guys like chicken jokes? Chicken Christy jokes. Does. Christy <laughs> was telling me the other day. She we were on a call. Do you? And Christy was like, you know what? I wish I Matt love would do more chicken of chicken jokes. Do you, do you? I wish Matt would do more chicken do jokes. That's what she told me. Do you know why chicken jokes are so funny? Tell me. Because? <laughs> <laughs> I was afraid to ask. That's so dumb. <laughs> That's just so dumb. Oh. Oh. That's about as dumb as, you guys, about as dumb as my whale joke. You guys, so. that joke gives me so much joy. <laughs> so much joy. Yeah, I yeah. can't even tell. I've told that joke, Ben. I've been uh-huh. around you yeah. about two dozen times uh-huh. since I learned that joke. Yeah, it's been. And you've been waiting. You don't understand how, how proud I am of myself yeah. that I have that didn't. saved that joke for the podcast yeah. and not blurted it out <laughs> willy nilly, yeah. casting my pearls before it's, swine. Yeah. Wow. This is sanctification. It sounds like it sounds like Listener, God's at work in your life. The Lord is up in hope, this place. Mm-hmm. We hope the listener feels love because you held off just for them. Okay, so yeah. I want—I just want to get prep. to share it with everybody. Here. I do. I do. Yeah. 
uh, every time I tell that joke, I, I, I look, f- I look forward so much <laughs> to going because <laughs> like that. Yeah. Uh, also, I, I, also, I, I, I will just wanna... say. Can I just make a comment about the timing of the because? Um, I think uh, one of the things that made it really funny is you kind of, you pretty much mm-hmm. interrupted yes. the, the response. Like, yep. tell me. And then before Christy was done saying, tell me, you do the because. Don't so, even, listener, don't if even you're going to repeat this joke, make sure that you interrupt a little bit of the, of the, of the, you know, the answer to the question. Don't even for a moment think that I right. haven't spent time in bed awake at night. <laughs> figuring out the best way to deliver that punchline. Yeah, Don't yeah, you for a moment doubt that yeah. that's, that has happened. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well. Also, also, I came across a treasure trove of jokes. Now, you guys oh, know, wow. um, I got I to run, actually. But you guys know that I like dad <laughs> jokes. But I came across a treasure trove of kid jokes. Jokes Kid that joke. kids have written. written. By kids. Yes. Oh. And I will that that was my first one. That's a kid joke. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna use it. On my my fifth and sixth grader are gonna come home from elementary school today and I'm gonna mm-hmm. use it on them. Yeah, you should. Let's yeah. Yep. I bet anyway, you they'll find it funny. You'll get more. It is really funny. Yeah. <laughs> do, do, <laughs> do you want to hear another one? <laughs> Two for one? Listen. Wow. An abundance. It's a special day. Do you people? Want to hear another oh, gosh. One? I'm gonna have to put this in the show notes so they notice. This Hang on till the end. There's a second joke. Okay. What? Okay. What is funny and lives in your trousers? <laughs> Underwear? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so I'm trying to get into a kid's head. Like, what's funny? Underwear. It's what kind is of funny. funny and lives in your trousers? A bottom. Oh my goodness. That is a kid joke, a boy kid joke. That's a boy kid joke. You don't think girls find bottoms funny? Not like boys do. Not like boys do. Uh, Not like little boys do. Not not 46 year old grown men. Definitely not them. (laughs) Uh, Bless bless you, listener. Happy day. Wow. Two two for one. What what an incredible day we're all having. (laughs) Yes. Enjoy it. All right. All right, well, we'll see you next time, everybody. Good to be with peace. you. Yeah, peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable, we'd love it if you'd tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our Gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as our email most Fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the show. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.